If you have your Bibles, I do invite you. We're going to begin in the New Testament um, in the book of James, chapter 4. Recently, I was uh, reading a book on prayer, and and just the the introductory words struck me. Um, In this book, the author writes, The great need of the church today and of human society as a whole is a genuine, God-sent revival. It is either revival or revolution. A revolution that will plunge human society and civilization into chaos and utter confusion. This is a time of widespread apostasy. This may be the last apostasy from which we will be saved by the return of our Lord Jesus to this earth to take the reins of government into his own thoroughly competent hands. What in part makes that quote um, significant to me is who wrote it. It was by a pastor named R.A. Torrey. Now, most of you don't recognize that name because he was pastoring in the early 1900s, and he wrote this in 1924. It could have been written today, though, couldn't it? It's either revival or revolution. And that's, and, and that's how he, he introduces his book on prayer. Tory's response to the widespread cultural upheaval of the 20s that he was experiencing, a very spiritually dry time in the history of the United States, what well, his solution is we have to understand the priority of prayer. We have to be praying for the Spirit of God to be at work and to be poured out. Would you stand for the reading? of God's inspired word. James 4, 1 and 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Let's bow our heads. May your spirit, O Lord God, visit us. And may the winds of heaven blow upon us that our darkness may be driven away and that all things may be clear in the brightness of your truth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if you, are, um, if, if you have an outline in front of you, it may be slightly ambitious. Um, <laughs> well, actually, so he said there's more than two points. Well, actually, I thought of it as two points with several subheadings underneath. So, um, so we will see. But, the, but I want to make um, first, just talk about the priority of prayer, the priority of prayer Underneath which, I just have four sub-points. And the first point, it just comes from this passage in James chapter 4. Um, and it is this, that negligence in prayer is a great source of disunity. It's a great source of fragmentation. James asked the question, what is it that causes quarrels and fights among you? 
What is it that's causing dissension in homes, in the church, in the wider culture? And his first response to this is, is it, the problem's not outside of us. The problem flows from within. It flows out of a fallen human heart that is a cauldron of tangled um, and disordered desires. To the Christian, he says, you have not. And so underneath this, this, uh, these unordered, disordered desires is another reality. And this is what he says to the believers. You have not because you ask not. Here James is talking about prayer, or more specifically, the failure to pray. Such a concise and simple phrase, you have not because you ask not, as the King James puts it. You do not have the things you need and some of what you want because you simply are not praying. You are not asking the Lord for the things often that, you know, you gripe about. James is making the connection between prayerlessness and disordered lives. And he's saying that if one's life is characterized by moral disorder or by a heart full of sin and worldliness, we need to examine our commitment to prayer. It's a simple truth that vital daily communion with the Almighty in prayer provides a barrier to sin and temptation. And it doesn't mean we'll ever be completely free of sin and temptation, just that it is our most effective means of grace and power to fight sin. It is that without which, if we're not praying, we will certainly fall into discouragement, and into disordered uh, lives. So, my point, we need to pray. Prayer, number two, is a critical mark of a true Christian. Prayer is one of the most common, universal marks of God's elect. In Romans 8.15, the Apostle Paul writes this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery... To fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Just as when an infant is born, there is the immediate need for that infant to gulp in fresh air, to breathe oxygen into the lungs. In the same way, if a person has truly been converted, or to use the language of the gospel, been born again, their desire and need is to cry out to their heavenly Father. The infant cries out for nourishment and comfort. And in our weaknesses, it is our need for God, for his grace, for his comfort, for his provision, that we are called to cry out to him. Prayer should be the most natural instinct for Christians, calling out to their Heavenly Father, and not just when we're young in the faith, but all the more as we grow in maturity. As you study the great men and women of the Christian faith throughout church history, what is the the most common theme that runs through their lives? Would you not agree, as you read these biographies, it was 
They made prayer a priority. They were committed to crying out to their heavenly father. Not just in church history do we see this, but we see this throughout the scriptures as well. They were all men and women who prayed. Prayer is the organic response of being regenerated by the spirit. Again, as oxygen is to the body, so prayer is for our faith the faith we need that animates us, spiritually speaking. If you're not praying over time, the result will be a faith that is withering on the vine. And if you continue for an extended length of time, your faith, you're going to find, is going to be on life support, and you're going to be wondering, how did I get here? Now, I want to say, I know that God's elect cannot truly be lost, okay? I also know that our growth in our faith is progressive. Um, It is um, often slow as we, we grow into the image of Christ. But let me say this. If you almost never pray, and you have little desire to cry out to God, you really need to examine whether or not your faith is genuine. That is how organic prayer is to be for the the regenerated believer. We have to pray. The third point, the Bible is unrelenting in its exhortation and encouragement to pray. I'm going to run through a a few scripture passages. Jeremiah 33.3, Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Matthew 7, 7 and 8, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. John 14, verses 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, just so succinctly, pray without what? Ceasing. Pray always. Pray without ceasing. Romans 8 tells us that we have an advocate. He continues to encourage us to pray when he tells us we have an advocate um, at the right hand of God, Jesus Christ, always waiting to present our prayers to God. We have a multitude of examples of how God has demonstrated amazing power in answers of the prayers of the saints. As long as Abraham pleaded for mercy on behalf of Sodom, he kept working that number down to the needed righteous people to be present, God continued to agree with Abraham's prayers. In answer to prayer, Moses saw water flow from a rock in the middle of a desert. In answer to prayer, bread came down from heaven. Elijah ended a three-year drought after praying. He saw fire fall from heaven. He witnessed a boy raised from the dead, all in answer to prayer. You know, one great line from uh, the man who's, who's viewed as kind of the founder of the Presbyterian Church, John Knox. This quote is from Mary, Queen of Scots. 
She was the queen at the time when John Knox was ministering. And she's reported to have said, I fear John Knox's prayers more than an army of 10,000 men. Okay. We are encouraged. And more than encouraged, we are called, we are exhorted to pray. God has given us every encouragement. Continue steadfastly, the the, uh, apostle Paul writes, steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. My fourth reason that prayer must be a priority is that prayer is the single most important step toward well-being, personal well-being and contentment. This is one of those areas where this isn't just something that's good for the body, for the church, for the kingdom, for the cause of God around the world. This is something that we personally are encouraged to to use because we personally benefit. This is an additional encouragement. In this world, we will experience grief and pain and sorrow. Some will experience more sorrow than others. We know this. But here is the reality of life in this world. As long as sin and death inhabit this world, there is no escape from pain. There's no escape from sorrow. The more time we spend in this world, the condition of our bodies, the care and maintenance of our property, our families, our children, our neighbors, our work, our communities, the institutions we are connected with, all these become sources, become fountains of care and concern. Sickness, marriages that are icy, children and grandchildren that are not walking with the Lord, just the maintenance of homes and cars and other property, problems at work, unemployment, bills that have to be paid, the loss of a friendship, that special neighbor or friend that moves away. Institutions that crumble, loved ones who pass away, disappointments, gossip, and slander, and ingratitude, all these are very common, very common in this world. And often the more we love, here's the truth, the more we love, the more we lose. The more we love, the more we lose. And what is the Bible's best solution to facing all of these cares and concerns in this world? Is it not the habit of taking everything to the Lord in what? Prayer. Psalm 50, verse 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble, the Lord says. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Prayer is often the means of bringing that ray of hope into a dark soul. It is the means of drawing down from heaven the God who says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. It is the medicine that the heart needs in order to be content even when our circumstances, painful circumstances, remain unchanged. 
So that's just four points about why prayer needs to be a priority in our lives. But let me continue. Let me work through five practical thoughts about prayer. Well, semi-practical. Practical for me. First, number one, as you pursue a life of prayer, you need to understand it's not just okay, it's expected that you will struggle. Okay? You will struggle in prayer. There are lots of Christians who find it a struggle to either know what to pray or how to pray or to keep their mind focused uh, while they pray. And, and part of the answer to this, like any other discipline, is you will grow stronger. It, you will, you will, this will get easier for you with practice, with repetition. It's, it's, like any, um, it's like the cultivation of any habit. And what you need to understand is you have an enemy. You have an enemy that will do just about anything to keep you off your knees. The devil hates praying Christians. And so suddenly, if you've ever had this experience, you're about ready to go pray, and you get a message, or you get, you know, something pops into your head, oh, I've got to take care of this, and you don't make it. You, you, You somehow are distracted away from prayer. Know that God understands our struggle. He understands our weakness. He addresses this in Romans 8, verse 26. Listen to this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. When we struggle, you need to understand that that God comes alongside us, God the Holy Spirit, and somehow he empowers us and and he he, um, uh, strengthens us in our prayers and the prayers that ultimately are made to God. You know, I heard one person describe, illustrate it this way, that um, a a little girl wants to bring flowers uh, to her mom. And so she goes out into the yard and, you know, into a little field and just kind of picking, you know, the wildflowers and, and some of the, the weeds and grass. And, and it's kind of all in this, you know, um, unformed a clump. And on her way to give this kind of pile to her mother, the, the older sister intercepts her. And the older sister says, hey, oh, that's so beautiful. Let me take a look at that. And she takes it and she pulls the weeds out and the grass and and she kind of arranges it so that it's just a really sweet little bouquet. And then the little girl brings it to the mother. This is in part how the Spirit is at work in our lives, intervening in our prayers, giving us help and aid in our weakness. And you might even understand and appreciate this. In giving those flowers, that little girl might think, oh, who am I? I'm just, I, I, what do I know about flowers? You know, um, she might conclude that it was all a failure. But do you know, how would that parent feel receiving those That mom would treasure those flowers. It would be an encouragement. So often I think, we come away from praying, oh, that was just, that was painful. <laughs> that was a struggle. But sometimes those are the prayers that please God most. Do not be discouraged 
when you face struggles and weakness in your praying. Second thought, try to avoid mindless praying. Okay, so those of you who are you're you're pursuing uh, the discipline of prayer, but there is this other ditch that we can fall into. And that is, you know, whether it's memorized prayers, maybe it's, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my soul, the Lord to keep you you pray these kind of prayers that you've memorized, maybe from the time of childhood. Um, And it's so easy to say, well, I can check that off because I got through the prayer like like a, a, a car racer, you know, um, I, I did it as quickly as possible, but, I, but now I can at least check that duty off. That's not really praying. I'm sorry. We are called. Listen to what Jesus says uh, in relation to the Pharisees. Um, this is Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. You know, they're just out there saying words. It's almost like magic. You know, I can check off my duty. But this is mindlessness. And so we are called, um, and, and there's a balance here. I'll just say personally, one of the greatest helps to me was actually a memorized prayer. And I'm thinking, um, you know, I, so I, I, I use some different prayers. But one has been the 40-day prayer covenant. And that has really, over the last five years, just really helped me and revolutionized my prayer life and, and helped me just be much more expansive and, and who I'm praying for and even when I don't know specifics, it just gives me this kind of outline of things that I can pray for um, individuals. And, and it has just really radically helped and expanded. But you can pray that prayer, boom, 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 and just not be thoughtful about it. And so the goal here is, and here's another reality. Many of the things that we're called to pray for, they're going to be chronic things. It's going to be things like for your family, um, for, for your spouse, for um, your, your church, um, for your pastor, <laughs> for um, the leaders of the church. There are going to be things that you're praying for or things that, you know, there's a sickness in the family that's chronic. You're going to be praying for that every day, okay, or regularly at least. And the temptation is to get into a rut. And, and so my exhortation is not to stop praying for those things. No, you need to keep praying for those things. Um, but just to keep your mind engaged. And also, memorized prayers are not a bad thing. Think of the Lord's Prayer. That is a memorized prayer that the Lord encourages his own disciples to pray. But avoid mindless praying. Number three, aim to pray in private daily. Some of you... I've seen these studies. I was looking up online. The Pew Research Forum um, did a a study of Americans. 55% report that they pray daily. I wonder what the number would be if you took out prayers before meals. (laughs) You know, what would would the, the daily prayer be if you were only including private prayer? Not, oh, I did my duty at church, okay, which is good. Um, But you need, I'm talking more about when you find that quiet room or a location outdoors where you're by yourself, this is my encouragement, is to strive for private prayer daily. Okay, Private prayer daily. In Luke 18, 7, it talks about God's elect who are crying out to God day and night for justice. 
This is this picture of, of this, this suggestion of, of men and women, God's people, cry, praying on a daily basis. This is the encouragement to set aside a regular time every day. Now, I, I know that many of you have different rhythms. Some of you are morning people. Some of you are evening people. Some of you, the best time of the day is your lunch break. <laughs> um, you need to figure out, uh, you need to carve out a regular time each day, um, depending on your schedule and on your rhythms. When can you carve out? And it may just be starting off with five minutes. And then what you'll find is, as you, is your prayer list expands, and, and it's helpful to have like a journal or something. You can write out your requests. Um, you're going to realize it doesn't, five minutes goes by really fast. Um, and you're going to see that you're going to want to spend more time in prayer over time. But my encouragement is pray daily. And in order to do this, you need to be convinced that prayer is one of the great priorities of your life, and it should be entered into at least once every 24 hours. Again, we make time for the things we prioritize. When's the last time you went without a meal? (laughs) When's the last time you went 24 hours without sleep? I won't ask when's the last, you know, 24 hours without brushing your teeth, but you get the point. You, You make time for the things you prioritize. You have time to pray. Daniel, a busy man, prayed three times every day. And then, number four, pray with faith. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, there's a balance here, and we take this, you know, in the context of the entire scriptures. In 1 John 5.14 This passage complements the first one. This is the confidence that we have toward him, towards the Lord, that if we ask anything according to his will, see, that's the key phrase, according to his will. So wait, I can't pray. I I just learned that the the car company was remaking or coming out with new Maseratis. I thought, oh, (laughs) I bet that would be fun to drive. Lord, let me Mark 11 this. Whatever you ask for will be done. Um, I I could really use a Maserati. Um, That would be great fun. Uh, That's not what Scripture is encouraging us to do. We are to pray with confidence when we pray for the things that are in accordance with the will of God. And as we grow in the Spirit... And in discerning what is the will of God, and as we grow in understanding the promises of God, we should learn to pray with faith. This means not just like, I'm just praying to the walls. No, you're praying to a God who hears you, and you need to pray with expectation. You need to think of yourselves. If you recall my sermon on Elijah, when God brings him to Mount Sinai, and there he is in the presence of God. He's pleading the covenant, in this case, against the northern kingdom of Israel that had become apostate. What is Elijah doing? He is praying with authority. Elijah is expecting God to respond, and he's praying in a certain office. When you pray, you need to understand, if you are filled with the Spirit, you are praying in the office of a Christian, with authority in your prayer lives. And you should pray with expectation. You should look for God to answer those prayers. Now, sometimes that prayer will be no, as in when Paul prays for the thorn to be uh, taken away. 
But note, Paul got an answer. He knew that the answer was no. Now, sometimes that prayer, you know, it's like um, the mother of St. Augustine, uh, Monica. She prays 31 years that her pagan son would finally be brought to the, to the Lord. And it's not until he's 31. I mean, we think of Augustine as this amazing saint, but he was a pagan until age 31. And he credits the prayers, the, the daily prayers of his mom for his conversion. Sometimes that's the way we need to be, but we need to pray with expectation and with faith. And finally, I'll just read the passage. We have to, and and our sister, Elder John Gould, mentioned this. We need to pray and be thankful in our prayers. Again, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's hard to um, over-appreciate the importance of thanksgiving. What thanksgiving does is it helps open our eyes to what the Lord has done and what the Lord is doing, that if we fail to be intentional in our thanksgiving, we might just not see. We might just simply overlook. And so one of the great principles of effective prayer is to pray with thanksgiving. My simple message is that in tough times, we have to pray. Would you bow your heads with me? O divine Redeemer, In you alone, we behold the perfect pattern of what we ought to be and into what, by your grace, that you are molding us. Lord, indeed, hear our prayers. Accept our praise and petitions and send down upon your people the fullness of your grace. Grant that in all our trials, we may be by your good grace that we might prevail and ever go forward in the path of life. And indeed, Lord, we are living in a time when we pray that your spirit would be poured out upon not just your church, but upon this nation. We ask it according to your mercy, O Lord, who lives and reigns forever. Amen. As we conclude, we we conclude with this, this hymn that reminds us, it takes us to the time when Jesus was pleading with God in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his arrest. And Jesus reminds us of this such important truth. It's not our will at the end of the day that we are praying for. It is thy will be done. Would you stand then as we, as we sing?